Final segment on today's Jefferson Exchange. I'm Jeffrey Riley. Thanks for listening. Today marks the anniversary of the day the Pony Express ceased operations in 1861. The telegraph replaced it, and the telephone replaced that, and then came radio and TV and so on. Now we live in a media-rich world of instant communication, and a couple of educators from our region help us understand it in our Signals and Noise podcast. Jesse Kretzer-Hartenstein is an assistant professor in journalism and mass communication at Cal Poly Humboldt. Chris Lucas is an assistant professor of communication at Southern Oregon University. They're here to talk about media choices, media coverage, and more in Signals and Noise. Uh, who do I have, Chris or Jesse? Jesse, here? Chris, you here? Hey, nice to be here. There we go. There's Jesse. Okay, good. We do have one of you. We're working on getting Chris on the other line, so it'll, it'll take just a moment. But, uh, but Jesse, I want to start talking about um, uh, Israel and Gaza and uh, the war so far and what is coming up and the media coverage of it, because um, there's just so much to talk about there. Why don't you give me your, your general take first, and, and, uh, and we can, we can uh, get into some specifics. Yeah, I think, I mean, just from that media perspective, it really is a sort of a prime example of the fog of war in, in relation to media, of just all this misinformation and disinformation, and it becomes really polarizing, as we've seen. And so, you know, the tragedies that are happening are, are important enough and huge enough on their own, but then they just get sort of... Um, really amplified in this, you know, in this uh, media world that we live in these days with how fast media technology is, is spreading these messages. And so the fake news has been so rampant. It's just astonishing to me. And, and uh, is it coming from, from both sides? I mean, and how, what are the avenues of distribution? Yeah, so both sides, um, traditional media and social media and everything in between, um, you know, we're seeing it from each side. It's sort of a propaganda war, right, of winning over the hearts and minds of people around the world to kind of support each side. And so we're seeing a lot of uh, disinformation even just coming out of um, out of the, the IDF, the, the Israeli Defense Forces, and from the Israeli government and Netanyahu, and then also from the other side, from, from Gaza and Hamas, the messaging that's being put out there, you know, really trying to gain support for their side, which, you know, is kind of understandable, but then the way that it's being spread through traditional media where we're supposed to have gatekeepers and fact checkers, that's been, that's been kind of, um, it's been a little bit alarming. We've even seen, um, uh, we've seen some of our, our main news outlets putting out information, like for instance, about the, um, uh, I, I hesitate on which words to use, uh, bombing versus missile attack versus, you know, where, what context is going to, um, what context are we going to give this about the hospital? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, which side actually was the perpetrator on that. And we saw, as I was mentioning, some of our main, um, you know, American news outlets like Reuters and the AP and MSNBC, Politico, New York Times, all putting out information right at the beginning, um, uh, right when that happened, saying that, um, or at, at least initially, they indicated that the blast came from as an, an Israeli airstrike. And those reports really were coming straight from um, the Hamas health ministry. And so they they ended up, you know, going back and kind of changing their headlines around once we realized that, well, maybe that's what happened, but maybe not. But that that need for speed on getting the information out there, um, you know, we kind of bypassed a lot of the the normal gatekeeping and fact checking that um, these, you know, presumably trustworthy media outlets would usually abide by. 
Um, and then we're also seeing that on the on the other end with social media. So these messages are getting out there, and then we're amplifying it on social media. And some of it is the amplification of those kind of traditional news media stories. But then a lot of it um, is opinion or fake news. We saw some examples of social media posts going around um, claiming to be from the the conflict or war. And again. A, I keep catching myself with which word am I going to use <laughs> because of the framing of this, you know, and I don't want to be part of the problem and amplifying messages that aren't 100% accurate. Um, but we saw video game clips claiming to be images and videos from the war. We saw oh, yes, um, yeah. clips from past wars and past conflicts from years ago claiming to be this current conflict. So just lots of, yeah, lots of misinformation and disinformation, um, both in traditional media and social media. Chris Lucas is with us now as well on Signals and Noise with Jesse Kretzer-Hartenstein from uh, Humboldt, Cal Poly Humboldt. Chris Lucas is from Southern Oregon University. Uh, so, uh, Chris, what's your overall impression of what you have seen thus far in the coverage of the, the Mideast War? Oh, wow. Uh, uh, great to be with you. Sorry, I'm a bit late. The, um, I'm not sure what, uh, what Jesse's been talking about, but it sounds like it was very much about just the overall overwhelming kind of tsunami of, of misinformation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we know that war in general is the enemy of quality information and impossible conditions, right, for gathering information. Um, and you lay that on top of a lot of information operations by, you know, not just the combatants, but all kinds of, you know, operators around the world. And it's just a really difficult situation, the so-called fog of war. Um, I think, you know, one thing I've, you know, I, there's been a lot of discussion of, sort of media cultures in these these parts of the world. And one thing that's seen, it's been a little lost, like outside of, you know, for, for instance, Israel is, is a lot of focus on, you know, the, um, the government there. But inside of Israel is like a really, you know, a, a pretty properly adversarial media culture. There's a lot of, like, discourse and debate within Israel, um, even as, you know, we, we definitely see both in that country and around the world, a lot of pressure being put on um, um, media outlets and reporters and, like, lessening access to, to leaders and not enough press conferences and these kinds of things we really need to question our leaders. Um, but, you know, from people I've talked to and things I've, I've read, it seems like there is still pretty healthy debate going on uh, that we just aren't really seeing as much of it outside the country. I, I wonder. I want to hear a little bit from each of you about uh, about just the reporting on on the, the, what got us to this point. Trying to explain who Hamas is and what Gaza uh, Strip is and all that stuff seems to seems to take up about half of the the coverage, at least in the print media. Jesse. Yeah, um, I I want to speak to that. Before I do, though, I also want to just um, point out that you know I'm I'm surrounded by people that are paying attention to news and media mm-hmm. and even a lot of these very educated people that I know have no idea of the context even though it you know it is being covered yeah. um and that's and that's just been astonishing to me and I think part of it is because it is so complex you know the, I mean the clashes in the in the Middle East and Israel and Palestine and these these regions I mean this goes back to biblical times right so to understand all the intricacies and nuances it it is challenging and I think a lot of people kind of end up having that information overload. Um, but we have been seeing it, uh, and, you know, we, we get some of that information about, you know, the 75 years of occupation or the um, 
1947 UN partition plan that kind of went awry, and that was where um, the, the UN had decided to create two independent states and then have Jerusalem under the UN administration. But as, as we know, um, Israel declared independence in 1948. They took over more of the land than they were supposed to, according to the UN at least. And, you know, we see kind of we've been hearing a little bit of both sides of that. And so much of that is depending, I mean, you know, in all the context and all the history, it's there. But there's still different ways of framing that and different ways of telling those stories of the history. And I think that's really contributing to these kind of um, the the different understandings that people who are paying attention and are, aren't having the information overload are still having these very different versions of history and therefore very different versions of where we stand today and kind of which side they fall on. And so much of that, getting back to the media coverage, so much of that is just in, you know, who's, who's telling the story, who's telling that history. And depending on which media outlets you're paying attention to, even something that we kind of look at and say, well, that's history. We know the facts. It's being told very different and, you know, with a, with a different framing and a different lens on it. And so I think there's still a lot of kind of confusion in all of that as a result. Chris, is this kind of the old uh, media nutrition situation where we're getting too many calories and not enough, uh, <laughs> not enough nutrition? Oh, my gosh. I mean, it is, it is a little bit of uh, – there's a lot of, I guess, uh, fast food out there, for lack of a better analogy. Um, you know, I, David Folkenflik on, on NPR a few days ago said something I thought was really important to remember that you know, we still see, we're still in this environment where readers are rewarding outlets to put the information out instantaneously. Mm-hmm. And this is counterproductive dynamic here. And we really rely on journalists and editors that kind of pump the brakes as necessary. Because this is an extremely documented conflict. I mean, putting aside the misinformation problem, but just the amount of documentation going on. And it's you know, we're in this media environment of, of immediacy and the mobility of, of information and images and the spreading these graphic images. Um, and it's all very much presented without that, with the lack of the context that Jesse's talking about, right? That, you know, sort of pick your, pick your historical scale here and uh, it's just going to get more and more complicated. And, um, you know, I always, one thing we talk about in my classes a lot is just, you know, how persuasion is very much a part of our media environment now. And a lot of what you're seeing is, even if it feels it is sort of fact-based, there's often a, there's sort of a, there's an attempt or at least a, uh, a goal or an intention here of persuasion and thinking about the ways we're, we're being persuaded. Let's see if we can uh, get the, uh, get the coverage of Congress and the, uh, the, the, the election of a speaker covered in about two minutes uh, with Jesse and Chris here. The, uh, so uh, here again, a lot of stuff to talk about, but the, in, in the end run, after three and a half weeks of, uh, of an empty speakership, we have somebody now in Mark Johnson. And, uh, and give me your thoughts, uh, Chris, on, on the coverage of it all and, and uh, what might have been lacking in it. <laughs> well, I mean, this was, this was a high-drama situation that's just irresistible. It's like catnip, I suppose, especially to congressional reporters. Rumors flyer, you know, flying around, some people in the know, um, you know, and a lot of assumptions, I think. I mean, they're the savviest viewers, these reporters who are trying to do it, but they're serving an audience of pretty savvy viewers, news junkies. Um, and I think really getting fixated on that drama in a way that I think is kind of counterproductive. Um, I think of uh, the the uh, the reporter the the journalism professor Jeffrey Rosen who's in the past said you know reporters should be covering the stakes not the odds like not the horse race but why uh-huh. it matters and I think that's something really good to keep in mind. All right, Jesse, your thoughts? 
Yeah, I completely agree with Chris on this one. Um, you know, that while while there were really kind of important things happening, a lot of the stories that I was coming in contact with were more about the drama, right? If it bleeds, it leads kind of. So let's right. find that dramatic aspect in there. And so I honestly, again, you know, I, I pay attention to a lot of news media and I teach journalism for a living. And I was even kind of confused on what was really going on because so many of the stories were not about you know, the facts that we needed to know. It was more about how can we sell this story and get people, you know, to to get excited or get upset or whatever the emotions were that, you know, that we try to evoke when we tell stories. Um, But, and one thing that I I didn't see covered much that I thought was interesting um, in the lack of coverage, at least, you know, in the stories I was coming in contact with, um, was the, the, what was really going on on the Democratic side of it. You know, with the Democrats versus the Republicans, it was it was more about the fight than about, okay, well, what's really happening here? And I had to go seek out, you know, information and stories so that I could have a better understanding of it. So I'm assuming that, you know, most of the American public was probably missing a lot of that as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly, the the Democrats were were staying out of the the spotlight there for a while, while consistently voting for for Hakeem Jeffries to be speaker, and he often beat the person who who uh, who who uh, was going for the Republicans. But that didn't get covered that much. So we have a little less than a minute to get pick three in from both of you, uh, Chris. Why don't you whittle off your uh, your pick three media choices for the month? Um, okay, I'm kind of quickly here. I've been enjoying this really uh, kind of sassy, satirical mystery series on uh, Prime called Deadlock, which is um, oh, yes, Australian. Uh-huh. Very fun. Um, I also really liked listening to Alan Alda's podcast, Clear and Vivid, because he just has a great conversationalist, especially his recent conversation with the biographer Walter Isaacson, uh-huh. which is really about uh, Elon Musk. And then Errol Morris, the you know great documentarian, has a film that just premiered on Apple TV called The Pigeon Tunnel, about David Cornwall, who's better known by his pen name, and John Lacare, the mystery writer. Okay, so all right, we'll put those up online. Jesse, quickly, your three. Uh, my first is super general. It's just I I have been trying to, and I want everyone else to try to pay attention to news outlets that have a different perspective than your own. <laughs> and maybe we can avoid some of this misinformation if we start gathering mm-hmm. news from different sources. My second one is a website to go in line with that, which is um, PolitiFact. And I may have mentioned this before, I don't recall, but um, it's really just a fact-checking website. And I encourage everyone to check that out before you start spreading, you know, before you repost and amplify messages online. And then my last one is just a fun one, because in the midst of all this, chaos and mayhem. I really love to garden and cook from my garden, and I've been loving this cookbook, um, Love and Lemons, Simple Feel-Good Food by Janine D'Onofrio. Okay, great choices on both sides. Jesse Kretzer-Hartenstein from Cal Poly Humboldt, Chris Lucas from Southern Oregon University. Thank you so much. That's it for today's exchange. We're online at jeffexchange.org. Angela Decker is our producer. Zach Beagle's at the controls. I'm Jeffrey Riley. Thanks for listening. Please join us next time and have a great day. 